O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Robert Cole of Harvard University has written extensively about the spiritual life of children. And in one study, he had a bunch of fourth graders drawing pictures of God. And one child he noticed had taken great care to draw only the face of God. And so when Cole suggested that she might want to draw God's body as well, the little girl, the girl said, No. When I think of God, I think of God's face. Just God's face. Jesus, being God's only Son, is the human face of God. To see Jesus and to know Him is to see God and to know God. As the writer of Hebrews puts it, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Or maybe a less highfalutin way of saying it, is that Jesus is a spitting image of his Father. Jesus himself said, He who has seen me has seen the Father, which, by the way, is one of his clearest claims to deity. If you really want to know God, if you want to know who God is, what God is like, what God is up to, what God cares about, what God's purposes for you might be, then look at Jesus. He shows us who God is, what God is like. Jesus is God with a human face. Makes me think of the story uh, of the little girl who was uh, awake in the middle of the night. She was frightened by some noise. And so she cried out, Daddy, Daddy, I'm scared father who was enjoying a really nice sleep heard that voice so it was kind of groggy as he stood there in his the room of his daughter and said it's okay daddy is just across the hall everything is going to be away oh okay now go back to sleep and so daddy went back to his room and there was few minutes passed, and then he heard the cry, Daddy, Daddy, I'm scared. Father got up, went to the room and said, you know, Susie, God is with you. God is right there with you, and God loves you. God's going to take care of you. And she she thought for a minute and she said, Daddy, I don't want God. I want somebody with skin on. <laughs> and you know, that is such a deeply human wish. In our fears, we want someone with skin on. A God that, we can, that has a face. A God that we can see and touch and understand and know. We want a God who's up close and personal who can reassure us in the darkness of the night. And the amazing good news is that we have such a God 
in Jesus. Jesus changed the very way people thought about God because until Jesus came, God was thought to be this rather vague, nebulous, supreme power, supreme being up there, you know, otherworldly, transcendent, God on the throne amidst the smoke and thunder, and you got the angels going, and, and, uh, and every once in a while this God would shout commands down, and, and Abraham would listen, and Moses would listen, and the, the prophets would get the word, and the prophets would preach to the people, but always God seemed rather remote, kind of far off, rather for, for, foreboding. And they had a hard time, people had a hard time understanding that God might love them. That they didn't find such a God who was so transcendent, very comforting, or even very relevant. God was so far above them that he didn't seem to have anything to do with daily life. So God chose to accommodate himself to us. He chose to come down from his heavenly throne and to live among us. And the Word who was with God and was God became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. God came down right to where you and I live, moved right into our neighborhood to communicate in an unmistakable way His nature, His character, His will, and His love for you and for me. God took on human flesh and blood and for once, human beings could touch God's face. God became touchable. It's what we call the mystery of the incarnation, the enfleshment of God. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. It's what Jesus' birth is all about. And it blows your mind when you think about it. The Lord of the universe who created the galaxies, who set the, cars, the, the stars in their courses came down at a particular point in human history and took on flesh and blood and walked this earth, God in our shoes, God in human skin, God with a human face. You can sense the absolute elation of those who first proclaimed this amazing good news to the world. Reading from the first letter of John, Scott, if you could put that up. Listen to this. This is how John begins his letter. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And you can sense the wonder of that. God, come down in human skin. The early Christian church was absolutely obsessed with Jesus. He was the focus of every sermon. Everywhere the apostles went, they preached Jesus and the resurrection. 
Peter boldly preached to the gathered crowds, Therefore let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. And the Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthians, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. For the New Testament church, Jesus was not just a great moral teacher, some great philosopher, but He was the divine Son of God worthy of our trust. Jesus was the object and focus of their faith. He was their foundation stone, the one for whom they were willing to lay down their lives. For them, Jesus was everything. If you really want to know God, the real God, God as really is, then it is to Jesus that you are to turn, that we are to turn. For Jesus is God's ultimate word to you and to me. He is the living word to which the written word points. Now, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews gives, says that God speaks to us in a variety of ways. God speaks to us in creation. For the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. God speaks to us through the word written. That is, through the law and through the prophets and through the writings of the Old Testament and the Gospels and letters of the New Testament, which convey true, reliable knowledge of God's nature and character and will. They are truly, those writings are truly God-breathed. They are inspired by the Holy Spirit. But God has spoken to us above all in Jesus Christ. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He is the one to whom the inspired scriptures testify. He is the very center, the climax of the biblical story, and he is the focus and the foundation of our church, or at least he ought to be. I was at a seminar the other day, and the speaker was drawing a distinction between healthy, you know, vibrant, thriving churches and those churches that are sickly and dying. And he said the difference is in healthy churches, thriving churches, they are incessantly talking about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. On the other hand, those churches that are sickly are not talking about Jesus, but they're talking about the church and church activities. It's easy to lose focus on Jesus and to major in peripheral things. The church can focus on its institutional needs, on its very survival. It can fo focus on maintaining its beautiful buildings. It can focus on being a social club. It can focus on preserving its religious tradition, regardless as to whether the needs of human beings are being met or whether they're actually following Jesus. A distracted church is a dying church. There's a story about uh, Leonardo da Vinci. He was painting his masterpiece, The Lord's Supper. 
and he was painting away, and there was a, a group of people that were looking, watching him be, behind him. And uh, they were watching his every brush stroke, and Leonardo was aware of this. And Leonardo was working on the fruit bowl on the table, and, and everybody, again, was just eagerly watching this. And, and Leonardo, with, with a, a, an angry stroke of his brush, said, and just kind of obliterated the fruit bowl, and he said, don't look here. And then pointing to the face of Jesus, look here. A church is in trouble when it looks everywhere but where it needs to, to the face of Jesus Christ. We are in the business of helping people to know Jesus and to follow him. And in a culture where the, where the whole concept of God is kind of up for grabs and where everything is kind of vague and nebulous and fuzzy and, you know, God is whatever you know, want God to be and so on. In that kind of a culture, it's more important that you and I and the, and the church introduce people to Jesus and keep him clearly in view. I read about a pastor who uh, was traveling in India. This is a while back. And he was hoping to stop in Calcutta to see if he could catch a glimpse of Mother Teresa, you know, a famous saint, a will, will be a saint. She's not already. She's on her way. Um, and, you know, she was an amazing person. And, and, uh, and uh, so he thought, well, maybe, maybe just, maybe she's there at headquarters in Calcutta. So he went to the, the, the simple building that was the headquarters of the missionary, uh, Missionaries of Charity. And uh, he knocked on the door, and a young novice in a blue sari uh, greeted him. And, and he stated the, the purpose for which he had come, and um, she let him in and led him into a parlor. And, uh, and he waited a little bit, and then lo and behold... <laughs> Here came this frail, bent-over little old woman, uh, and uh, it was Mother Teresa in the flesh, and uh, the guy was just amazed that, that he could even see her, let alone spend 20 minutes with her, and that's exactly what he did. He spent that much, that much time and had a nice conversation. Uh, Mother Teresa talked about her important work, and then not wishing to intrude any more on, on her time, the, the young pastor stood up to express his appreciation, and uh, right before he left, he asked, what advice might you give a young preacher? Only this, she said, preach Jesus, the true Jesus, the real Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and not a Jesus of people's imaginations. To know Jesus is to know God. And the only way to know Jesus, the real Jesus, and not the Jesus of people's imaginations, is to meet him in the pages of Holy Scripture, which is the only record we have of Jesus' words, his life, and ministry. Which brings me right back to last week's message in which I encouraged all of us to become eager students of the Bible. If you want to know Jesus, then study his words and his actions. Study them in Scripture. Start with one of the Gospels and then ask, what is he teaching you about God?
What's he teaching you about life before God? What's it mean to live as a citizen of his kingdom? To know Jesus is to know God. To watch Jesus in action in the Gospels is to watch God himself. So that when we see him touching the sick and healing them, we see God's love. When we see him refusing to condemn a woman uh, in the act of adultery, caught in the act of adultery, we see God's mercy. When we hear him say, come to me all you who are weary and are heavy laden and I will give you rest, we see God's understanding. When he reached out to the apostle Peter after Peter denied him three times, we see God's forgiveness. When he said the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should have eternal life, we see God's purposes. So the more we come to know Jesus in Scripture, the more we know the real God, who God really is. And then we can no longer rest content with the God of vagueness, the God, the nebulous God, the fuzzy God up there, the man upstairs, or however you conceive of God. God is no longer fuzzy, aloof, far away. But Jesus brings close up the real God. He reveals a God of love and mercy, a God who cares about you and me and all the details of our lives, a God who comes to us with a human face. And the more we come to know Jesus, the more we'll come to love him and we'll want to trust him with our very lives. Don't let your hearts be troubled, he said. Believe in me. Believe also in God. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that if you want to know God, if you want to know the way to God, then Jesus is the one to follow. And we don't, you know, we don't have to know everything there is to know about Jesus before we can begin to follow. We really don't have to know much at all. I mean, how much did the... the, the uh, how much did uh, Simon Peter and Andrew and those guys, how much did they know before they started to follow Jesus? Probably not very much. Jesus simply says to you and to me, come and see. Come and see. Check it out. See if there's some truth in this. Come and see if my words ring true to you. Come and see if living my way leads to blessing and new life. And then we begin to follow. And to follow him is to become a student of his life. That's what the word disciple means, by the way. It means student. It means not only to listen to the teacher, to, but to put into practice what he taught and modeled. So that as we go through our daily activities, we find ourselves in different situations, we ask, what would Jesus do if he were in my shoes? Like, that's an important question. What would Jesus do if he were in my shoes? And if you've been studying his life and his thoughts and his attitudes and his actions, you're going to get some real wisdom. 
and some guidance in your life. We seek to act accordingly, leaning on Him. And thankfully, you and I have the, you and I have the assurance of the Spirit of God who, will, who abides in us and will enable us to do what He commands so that we can make real progress in our life. So that we, every day, we're becoming a little bit more like Christ. We're becoming a little bit more, the student's becoming a little bit more like the teacher. Every day, every day. Because we're constantly in the Word. We're constantly thinking about Jesus. Thinking about what Jesus would do in our shoes. We become students. And that means more than just coming to church on Sunday and then forgetting Him the rest of the week, right? means consciously trying to follow him day by day. Not always easy to do, by the way, because oftentimes Jesus calls us to do things that we don't want to do <laughs> or that goes against our pride or our ego or whatever. But his way is always best. But Jesus says, hey, check it out. Check it out. Follow me. Entrust as much of yourself as you know to as much of Christ as you know. And follow. So every day we become a little bit more like the teacher. We who are students becoming more like the teacher. Disciples become like their, like their teacher. Which leads me to a final question. Can others tell you and I are following Jesus and have really come to know God. I mean, really know God. Can others tell? By our attitudes, by our actions. Kids, as you know, can be profoundly theological. And one Sunday on the way home, there was a little girl with her mom, and uh, she was saying, Mommy, the pastor's sermon really confused me. And her mommy said, well, in what way, dear? And she said, didn't the pastor say that God is bigger than us? She said, yes. And didn't the pastor say that God lives in us? Yes. So if God is bigger than us and lives in us, wouldn't he show through? Good question, isn't it? 